You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 821 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on a Sunday evening into Monday morning. And today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On. You'll get $10 off on your next order with Built Bar. Today's show is mostly NBA playoff talk with Bill. As you probably saw clicking on this podcast, Bill is a, uh, a boss of mine over at Dime and Uprock Sports. We had a lot of fun talking about NBA basketball on this show, but before we get to that, and it was a fun conversation to be sure, some news to touch on that, that impacts the Atlanta Hawks, and we'll start with what happened on Friday with some reporting from Woj and Shams over at ESPN and The Athletic, respectively. Woj first reported that the NBA is tentatively expected to allow teams to begin conducting in-person interviews with draft prospects starting in mid-October, but for now, there's still no in-person workouts with prospects allowed by teams. Moments later, Shams reported that the NBA is planning for a draft combine-like process beginning later in this month with two parts, the first of which will be mid-September to early October with in-market medicals and on-court stuff, plus virtual interviews, and then from mid-October until the draft with some in-person interviews, but actually not the uh, in-person workouts that you might see normally in advance of the NBA draft. From there, Woj reported that there's no clarity, that's his description, on when next season will start still, but the league has told teams to expect an eight-week advance notice when it comes to the opening night of the season. So basically, whatever they elect, whatever they decide on this formally, they're going to give the teams eight weeks heads up to prepare for this. He also reinforced that the November 18th draft date that's been proposed and rumored and reported is not set in stone, which I said last week on the podcast a few different times. That is not official at this point in time. No one's announced that. It's still very, very fluid. That is the target date for now. But alas, and finally, Shams reports that the NBA prefers, quote, in-market competition with reduced travel and an amount of fans instead of the bubble environment that is playing in currently, end quote, for next season. And the league is still aiming for an 82-game season for next year. This is now me talking. I don't believe that to be a super likely outcome. It's still very possible, and the league, I'm sure, wants to have fans, and they want to have a full season. We'll see what the drop-dead point is on that when it comes to the calendar planning. They do not want to have um, go too deep, I'm sure. If, 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 if it takes until April or May, they're not going to do that, I don't think. I think probably March is the end of when they're going to actually start next season. And they have to start thinking about alternate ideas. But a lot of reporting, obviously, over the weekend with regard to the draft and combine stuff and workouts. None of this is huge news for a normal Hawks fan consumer. I understand that. With that said, it does impact the team. The, the team is very busy. Uh, there was a, a good interview that was uh, done by Chris Kircher of The Athletic with Travis Schlenk that's worth reading in advance of the uh Workouts that the Hawks will be doing later this month, pretty pretty soon actually. They'll be gathering for the first stage of that in Brookhaven before they go into the full bubble after that. But Sarah Spencer of the AJC and Chris Kircher of the Athletic both done some uh, reporting on what's going to be happening there. There is uh, some expectations now, according to what Schlenk was saying, that uh, all of the core guys will be there for the Hawks, um, including Clint Capella and Trey Young. That's good to hear. 
Uh, we'll talk. We'll touch on that more when it becomes official, all that stuff, as we get closer to it, and hopefully we'll have some Zoom availabilities, etc. But for now, that's sort of your roundup on the news from the weekend. As I said before, a fun conversation with Bill upcoming when we talked about the Western Conference situation um, that we thought might be re- rectified by now, but the Clippers can't seem to beat the Nuggets, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then, of course, the Eastern Conference Finals, etc. It's a fun conversation. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please check out everything on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Bill. Bill, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. For the second time in a week, one of my bosses is here. First, it was Robbie Calland. Now, it is you. I guess my only introduction of you is that you are my boss, but tell people where they can find you right here at the top and what you do for a living. Oh, wow. Uh, boss is a, is a very uh, boss loose way of putting it. Uh, I uh, am uh, the associate editor over at Up Rock Sports in Dime, where I've had uh, the privilege of working with Brad for a long time. God, 2016? Was it yeah. like early 2016 you got hired? I think that's right. Yeah, somewhere around the summer of 2016, something like that, because of Martin. Martin did things, and here we go. Yeah, we've, I mean, our editorial staff has been some combination, has been a combination of myself, Robbie, uh, Martin, Ryan Nagelhout, uh, since probably 20, early 2016, uh, with the God Bill Handstock tossed in there. But yes, uh, it's, uh, been a blast, uh, spending many an evening asking (laughs) Brad what happened in the Hawks game. And then he just says something and I nod my head, uh, solemnly. Uh, and then, yeah, now, now, now we're here. Uh, yes, over at Uprock Sports and Dime, and then I tweet sometimes uh, at Bill Filippo. You're not going to know how to spell that. Don't worry about it. I will. I will link to it in the uh, in the tweet <laughs> in the tweet for this podcast. Um, but yeah, Bill and I spend a lot of time together virtually, but we're talking now. He's been on the podcast once before, but we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs today. Uh, I did some Hawks news before I brought you in. No, no specific Hawks stuff planned. So people, I'm sure, will be upset about that. But listen. It's the middle of a hiatus. I like the, I like the NBA. There's a lot going on, and uh, we're going to talk about it. So, first things first, we're going to save the Eastern Conference Finals for the end. And let's talk about what is going on in this Nuggets-Clippers series, because it was really supposed to be over twice now. The, the, the Clippers had massive leads in the second half in two straight games, including today, where they got outscored by, I think it was 31 points in the last, Oof. like, 18 minutes of play, which is a jarring figure when you think about it. So broadly speaking, how surprised are you that this happened? What is your general thought about this series? Because game seven is now looming on Tuesday. I'm stunned. Uh, I legitimately thought going in, I, I did a, a, a podcast uh, with the good folks over at 213 Hoops uh, where we discussed, you, you know, I kind of joined for a little preview of the series. And I said, I legitimately think that the Clippers can sweep them max five games because I just did not think that the Denver Nuggets for how good that they are, for how many options that they, I mean, for all the stuff that they can do, if you don't outside of Nikola Jokic, outside of Jamal Murray, it didn't seem like they had too terribly much. And if the, the Clippers can kind of limit the damage from them a little bit, like Paul Millsap, love him to death. He hasn't been himself. Jeremy Grant, he does a lot of really good things. He's not much of a scorer. It's a lot to put on Gary Harris with uh, everything that he's been going through. It's a lot to put on Michael Porter Jr. I just did not think Denver was going to have enough answers for all the stuff. The Clippers, in theory, have an answer for everything. And 
twice so far in the series, the Clippers have gotten themselves I mean, the last two games, the Clippers have gotten themselves into positions where I don't know about you, Brad, but it kind of feels like they've put themselves on autopilot and they it's a mix of putting themselves on autopilot. And I think Doc Rivers, I, as I am sure we will discuss, sticks with players who I think aren't getting the job done out of a just inherent trust that he has in them. And in those moments, Denver is able to get stuff going on both ends of the floor. And now we're in this position for a game seven where, man, we, sh- we should not be here. I think that's the overarching thing. We should not be in a game seven right now. Yeah, I strongly agree with that. I think the most obvious person that I assume you are referring to is Montrez Harrell, who is really not good in this series. And, you know, Trez had a really good year. He had had an excellent year. I was okay with him winning six man of the year. Like he's a good player. Um, But between him being a late arrival in the bubble, having to quarantine, all that stuff, uh, maybe not being in perfect shape and just a bad matchup defensively. He's never been great. He's really a, a, a sort of outlier bad player at the moment uh-huh. for the Clippers in this series. And it, By the way, again, it doesn't mean he's terrible. It just means that he's not a good matchup in the series and he's not playing well. But they're key, they keep on going to him and they're getting blasted for it. I mean, credit, credit to Denver for taking advantage of it. Jokic is a bit out of his mind at times in this series. But yeah, it feels like a combination of the Clippers pulling off the pedal uh, in a way that they, you know, that, that was one of the reasons that people were scared of them was that they have these stretches where they're awesome and they kind of have this air about them like they've already won and they haven't mm-hmm. won. It's kind of like, almost like the LeBron teams in Cleveland or something like that or the Warriors where they're awesome but they've already won and they have the, the excuse to not have to not have the pedal to the floor all the time. Clippers have never won. I mean, Kawhi has, but no, and Doc has, I guess, but nobody else has won for them, but they had that air about them where... It does feel like they just let up, let up in back-to-back second halves. It wasn't all them. Credit to Denver for taking advantage of it, but the combination of them not playing great lineups, uh, leaning on Harrell, like Lou's had some bad moments in this series. Uh, you know, Kawhi's great, and Paul George has been hit and miss, but has been really, really good when he when he has been good. But uh, yeah, I'm, I tend to agree with you that Denver, you know, shouts to them for keeping this thing going. But I feel like this is kind of a fluke. But now that we're in, now now that we're in Game Seven, like I thought, I saw Matt Moore pointed this out. Clippers were favored by, I think, like eight and a half, nine points the last two games. Now it's down to seven, mm. four games, seven, and they should be favored. If they win, I will be, if they win, I will not be surprised. If they lose, I will be surprised, but they certainly could lose. It's a best, it's a best of seven. It's a one game series now. And the Nuggets are really good when they're really good. Yeah. And something that, that that's really been stunning to me and they, you know, I'm, Again, two one three hoops. I want to give them a shout out here because uh, one of their writers, Lucas Hand, has done. He, I mean, he's really put a lot of information out here for this. Yep. Trez is plus minus this postseason, and they've played. Oh. <laughs> uh, they've played twelve games so far this postseason. Trez, uh, minus seven, minus fifteen, minus five, minus nineteen, plus thirty four in the game that the Clippers won by forty three, minus nineteen plus seven in the game that the Clippers won by 23, minus two, minus five, minus one, minus nine. And then today uh, he was minus 19. So you you hear those numbers and it's very weird because again, Trez is a really good basketball player. I think that he does so much stuff for them that when he is out there, when he is cooking, he's a legitimate matchup nightmare. It's just been two really not great matchups for him. Uh, you know, the, uh, Dallas has been able to pull was both able to pull him away from the rim uh, with Porzingis. Then when Porzingis wasn't in, they just had Boban in and, you know, 
Trez was battling, but Boban could literally just put his arm up in the air and drop a ball over him. There's nothing he could really do about that. And now he's going against Jokic, who, for you know, Trez's energy game, that really energetic game does not shake Jokic at all. You mix that with Zubac, he's played well, uh, but it seems like Doc hasn't always uh, felt comfortable riding for big minutes. So he did play 30. And then I hate, you know, I don't want to hate on him because he, he's a legend, especially in your neck of the woods, Brad. But Lou Williams, great, great, great basketball player. He just has not been particularly good so far in this series for whatever reason he just hasn't looked like himself he's averaging 10.5 points connecting on 15 percent of his threes and 37 percent of his field goals uh, Landry Shamit 2.8 points connecting on 16.7 percent of his threes so you put that kind of stuff together and it really puts a ton on Kawhi Leonard who Kawhi is outstanding and Paul Dr- it's actually very funny because now that I'm talking through this it kind of reminds me of the issue that I thought the Lakers were going to have where I thought the Lakers were going to have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, they're going to, you know what you're going to get out of them. They're going to be fantastic. And then you basically have to hope that someone else is going to be able to give you a little bit of someone else is going to be able to give you something. Now with the Clippers, the situation they're in, Kawhi and PG are going to play well, but you need Marcus Morris. You need Zubach. You need Patrick Beverly, Jermichael Green, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams. Like you need something from those guys. And They just have not gotten it as consistently as I think they need to get it if they want to win against the Denver team that right now has all the confidence in the world. Yeah, they're playing loose. That was very clear down the stretch on Sunday is that the Clippers kind of tensed up a little bit and the Nuggets were loose and they've been here before. That's the the good thing, if you want to put it that way, of having to come back from 3-1 in the last series. that They know they've done this before. They seem to be pretty pretty loose with it. Um, To add to your Montrez point, uh, the last two games – this is a small sample size, but he has a on-court net rating of minus 41.1 points per 100 possessions. That's not very good. Um, and for the series, I think it's like minus 11, which is really bad. In a series where the, the Clippers have still been the better team, they've still outscored the Nuggets considerably in the series. So it's really hard to have an, a negative 11 net rating when your team is winning the overall net rating battle and winning the series. Um, at least they had been to this point. Um, they still have the more, they still have the uh, the edge in net rating and at, at plus one point nine. So yeah. it's tough. Uh, it's not all Trez. I want to say that it is, but it's very exactly. obvious. Uh, it's very obvious to me that they're better with Zubac. I think everyone kind of knows that at this point in time. But they can't, like you mentioned. I think for whatever reason, I don't know if it's you know conditioning or the fact he's just a seven foot man. Uh, Zubac is not. I don't think either able or willing. I guess Doc's not willing to play him 35 plus minutes a game, which I understand. He's a huge guy. He's not played that much in his, in his career, but uh, they have to figure out those minutes. And, you know, it was a running joke on Twitter today in the fourth quarter, like every time out they'd come back and there would be 12 tweets from people that we trust saying like, wait, Trez is still in the game. Like what is going on? Like why, why are they still <laughs> staying with him? And again, I don't, I, we're piling on a lot. I don't want to do that, but it's just, it's very glaring. Uh, I, I guess the, easy point of transition here is um, the fact that the the Nuggets haven't been able to guard the Clippers like reasonably well. Granted, they still are allowing 1.09 points per possession, which is not incredible by any means, but considering where the Nuggets were early in that Utah series, if you told me they were going to hold the Clippers to like a reasonable offensive rating in this series, I would have told you you were crazy. So shouts to them for playing good defense um, for the most part, because the Clippers are an awesome offensive team. They were like, they were number two in the league and offense during the regular season behind only Dallas and uh, Denver, you know, it's definitely some Clipper stuff, but Denver's just playing 
really, really well defensively on the whole. There's still moments where it's kind of bad, but guys like Jokic have been better. Like Murray competes on man of the floor. Porter's not getting them killed too badly. Like there is <laughs> a lot, there's a lot of credit to be given on, on that defense. Yeah. And you know, some of it does go back to the fact that a guy like Lou Williams, a guy like Landry Shamit, the guys that you expect to hit open shots when they come just have not been able to hit open shots for, you know, whatever reason it might be. Marcus Morris, another guy who you need Marcus Morris. He he will always compete. He will always fight, but you really need him to hit threes. And so far in this series, hitting 42.5%, but today one, one for four, you need him to be a little bit better than that. But yeah, I, it's the funny thing about this Denver thing, team. Jokic, um, it's not that he's a bad defender, like he's, uh, he's not the most fleet of foot. He's not going to be this indomitable rim protector, but he's one of those guys who just knows what he has to do on defense. He knows where he has to be. He knows how to impact plays, do that kind of stuff. So he'll never do the eye popping stuff. Uh, but he can, you know, he, he's not a, a, a gigantic negative on them before. And then otherwise, Paul Millsap's always going to compete on defense. Jeremy Grant's always going to compete on defense. Jamal Murray competes on defense. Gary Harris is a very good defender who, you know, he's kind of the, he was one of the guys I was watching coming into the series because I thought he had to play well if they were going to win. And he's been okay on the offensive end of the board, but he's giving it his all on defense. Plumlee's always going to defend. Craig's always going to defend. Uh, Monte Morris isn't a great defender but again another smart guy who generally knows what he has to do and where he has to be as long as he's not eating screens so Denver I Denver the thing that has been really I don't want to say surprising about them but the thing that I think it seems like the Clippers aren't prepared for is how proud Denver is Denver is a very proud basketball team they're a basketball team that is willing to fight willing to scratch willing to claw knows that they were a game seven away from making the conference finals last year and I don't know what it is, but Jokic, I, I, or it was Jokic or Murray said, we think that we are at our best when our backs against the wall, our backs are against the wall. And we so far have three games uh, in the series that they just played against Utah and three game and now two games against the Clippers that say when they are in a position where you have to beat them, Denver is capable and I don't know about you, Brad, I didn't think that they had this of having that extra gear that they are able to go to where they are just going to fight and scratch and claw. And if you are going to beat them, you are going to beat them by taking the absolute best shot that they can throw. Yeah, they're definitely throwing haymakers in this series. And I can't remember who po- it might even been Lucas, who you referenced earlier, but they've had these three or four quarters in the series when they've just gone absolutely nuts, the Nuggets. And they're capable of that. And this is a team that does have an explosive offense, especially when you throw in Murray playing at his best level and Porter giving them another element. In addition to Jokic, has been just crazy good in this series. But yeah, I mean, the fact that they've been able to rise to the occasion, come back off the mat, now back-to-back games down huge. I mean, both those games individually, if I tell you, Bill, that the Clippers are up 16 to 18 points in the second half on a neutral court, they got to be 95% favorites to it's win over. the game. It's over. They, and, they, it happened, and it happened two games in a row. I mean, it's crazy. It, if Kawhi gets hurt, no, because even if Kawhi gets hurt, like Paul You're George. You're up 16. Still, yeah. Right. You, you expect a team with Paul George and a bunch of, they legitimately have their starting five 
Jermichael Green, Harrell, Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, Landry Shan. They have 10, 11 legitimate NBA players on this team. They should not. Maybe it's an issue of just like Doc has to realize that not even you go as far into you you have to ride your starters more but even then like Kawhi's playing 41 PG's playing 39 the one thing I will say about Doc is I don't think he is quick enough to respond to dangerous situations like you have to be willing to say all right Trez isn't working we'll take him out we'll put in Jermichael Green we'll put I, I, I this is talking crazy because he's not the player he used to be but like you look at all the ways that Jokic is just out. He's using his savvy to school Trez, and Trez keeps getting lost on stuff. I don't think Jum- I don't think Joe Kim Noah can be eighty percent of what he was back in the day, but at least he knows like where to stand and where to do in various situations. Jermichael Green, kind of the same thing, but he doesn't seem to have a quick enough hook with a guy like Trez, with a guy like Shannon, with a guy like uh, Lou. And it's not quite to the extent that Bud does it, but you have to be willing to say, all right, uh, Marcus Morris, I trust you the most out of everyone. You're playing 38 minutes today. Zoo, I trust you the most. You're playing 48 minutes today. It doesn't matter if you're going to be tired because this is the playoffs and we have to win these basketball games. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, it's one game, but games, I'm looking at the games, at the game six box score from Sunday. They basically got nothing from Marcus Morris. They got nothing from... Patrick Beverly other than fouls and he fouled out in 18 minutes. Uh, Zubash was okay, but um, you know, they didn't get a lot from the guys they need to get something from. Landry Shamit was, was 0 for 3 in 20 minutes. I know they have two awesome players, Paul George and Kawhi combined for 58 points. Those guys are really good, but they need somebody else to help them. Um, preferably more than one other person to help them. Yeah. Um, it's not just going to be, I mean, maybe it's Lou. Lou had some moments. He still had 14 points and three steals in the game today, but they just need a little bit more offensively and defensively. They're still the better team, pretty clearly on both ends of the floor, in my opinion. But yeah, I'm maybe a shorter bench. I'm not really sure what they can and will do, but the one thing that I think we all agree on is that uh, you can't rely on Harrell and, you know, two, I guess two Ducks somewhat credit. He plays, He played in 15 minutes only. It felt like... Mm-hmm double that honestly which is which is how how brutal it was but well, he was well, mi- what, what i was gonna say what happened in those 15 minutes minus minus 19 so maybe that's still too many uh, i think it's just you know practically speaking i'm the first person to point out that he can't play him i don't think but in in practicality if you're doc rivers it's really hard to turn around and tell a guy who was the sixth man of the year and who's going to be a free agent this this fall or wherever we are that you're not going to play today. Like, it's just kind of a tough thing to practically do. And Doc has enough juice where he could probably do it. But more, moreover, it's probably more likely that he just plays him, keeps him on a super short leash, and maybe yanks him faster. You, you're not going to come out and just DNP Montrezl Harrell. But it's just, it's too striking to avoid. But, you know, I, w- I, w- I would personally circle Beverly and Morris as guys who just have to be better in Game 7. Uh, it's not just those guys either. But those are, you, you just can't afford to get, you know, two of your best five, six players to give you virtually nothing in this spot. Yeah, it, it's it, it's funny because if there is one, there are maybe two or three coaches in the league who have the kind of clout where they they can get away with saying, okay, sixth man of the year, uh, I'm going to have the quickest hook with you that I have had with any of my players all season long. And Doc is what it's like, Doc, it's pop. He can do it. Yep. And so, 
like that's Spoon, probably... Nick, Nick Nurse, because he's like throwing on. It's like Nick, Nick Nurse is like the right. rep of any of a god right now. But yeah, it's probably a five, six person list, maybe. And Doc, as a former champion and beloved human being, is on the list. And someone who, for all of you, you know, Doc has never been a perfect head. He's never been someone who knows every single button that you press every single time. Like he's always been a flawed in-game coach. But the thing that you've always relied on with Doc Rivers is he just knows how to handle stuff. Like he knows how to handle any situation that pops up. And you would think he would be able to handle a situation where, you know, I, I just read, uh, those numbers, uh, for Trez, uh, with what his plus minus has been in, Every game this postseason, Zubac has had two games, all playoffs, where he has had a negative plus minus in the time that he's been on the floor. And he's had one, two, three, eight of the team's 12 games. He's been his plus or minus has been better than 10. Like there is it is just very hard for me to say that the right move is anything other than riding Zubach for as long as you possibly can and the funny thing is Brad if they do that and if it leads them winning I think the next series is a great one for Trez because it's going up against a team where it's the thing that the Lakers do is they love they didn't have to do it in the last series they love to play big they love to throw out as many big men as they possibly can and this season he's had Trez has played uh, four games against the Lakers and he's been, you know, or three, four games, whatever. Yeah. Four games against the Lakers. And he's been pretty solid in them. It's very funny. Like if you just convince me, you know, I'm not a coach. It's very easy for me to say this, but if you could just convince Trez, like, you know, one game, just for (laughs) one game, you're, you're not going to be the sixth man of the year. You're going to be a guy who comes in in a few situations, blah, 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 blah. That next series is the first series that they've played this postseason where I think Trez can not only be a net positive, I think he can thrive against the Lakers as opposed to what we've seen against uh, against Dallas and Denver. Yeah, it's a much better matchup for him. No question about it. Um, okay, we, we've done a lot on this. I want to make sure that I get you on the record. I am picking the Clippers. The Clippers are the better team. I cannot rationally pick against them. I will make the point that yet yeah, Denver is playing loose and they have nothing to lose, and that's probably a good thing overall. Does that make up the gap that I think there is in this series? Probably not. So I will pick the Clippers, and I just feel like I have to. Do you agree, or, or, or are you going to go on the limb and take the uh, the scalding hot Denver Nuggets? So uh, last postseason for Dime, I think I covered 10 playoff games, uh, and five of them were uh Raptors Sixers game five, Raptors Sixers game seven, Raptors Warriors game one, Raptors Warriors game two, and Raptors Warriors game five. I say that to say this. I am not picking against Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Like, for everything that we have just said about how Denver's playing so much better, the Clippers need this, blah, 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 blah. I'm not taking the team that is not Kawhi, unless it's the Lakers and they have LeBron, and that's still dependent on how the series plays out. I can't in good conscience pick against Kawhi Leonard in a game seven. So even if it ends up being like he had in game seven against Philly last year, where beyond the fact that he hit the great, the greatest shot that I've ever seen in my entire life, he 
that game seven, he took 39 shots and scored 49 point, 41 points. If he has to do that again, he's going to do that again. And I think having Kawhi Leonard is just a trump card that Denver is not going to be able to have an answer to. Yeah, picking the best player on the team that has more talent is probably a good strategy overall. And Kawhi is the best player. With respect to Jokic, who's been, again, awesome in this series. Out of his mind. Uh, Kawhi is still better than Jokic. Um, granted, you could you could talk me into Jokic being better than Paul George. Um, but even then, George is a good player. And uh, yeah, give me the Clippers. Could be wrong on this. It would not stun me if they lost. It's just, uh, yeah, got to take the better team, I think, if you ask me to choose. Okay, Bill. After a quick break, we will come back and talk about the Eastern Conference, where we actually know the finals matchup. So hold on tight. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. I've told you in the past how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including six new selections like lemon almond cheesecake, caramel brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all soft and very easy to chew. And from there, it's important to note that Built Bars are fantastic for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and Built Bar is even great for people on the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On. When you do that, you'll get $10 off on your next order with Built Bar. One more time. That is BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on for $10 off your next order. Check it out at BuiltBar.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Roman, and talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually men just brush it off or blame themselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or avoiding it altogether by blaming work, or that they had a long day. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, it's safe, and it's totally discreet. With Roman, you can also get a free online evaluation and ongoing care, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. And if medication ends up being appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and simple. Getting started is also simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA and complete the online visit with Roman. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA. GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, Bill, we're back. Uh, let's transition to the East. Uh, we know it's Boston-Miami. Uh, let's go a little bit further back before we talk about this series in particular. Anything strike you? Um, obviously, Milwaukee going down <laughs> the way that they did was uh, a bit surprising. Uh, and then I think, obviously, the the raptors Celtics series was awesome and really a lot of fun to watch, especially for people that like defense. But anything like strike you as a takeaway from those series? Like, do you believe that Miami is as good as they looked in that series? Or are you more skeptical? I will say this before I let you answer. Miami is a team that my guard is up on. I think that series had a lot to do with Milwaukee not being good. It definitely had something, something to do with Miami being good. But the notion that I've seen out there now that Miami is like, you know, 50-50 with Boston surprises me because I uh, tentatively am leaning toward the Celtics. Uh, I do think that Milwaukee was, and Miami was a uniquely horrible matchup for Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee's entire thing is we're not going to let you score in the paint. We will give up shots on the perimeter, but we are not going to let you get inside the three-point line and get shots at the rim and get those easy buckets because even with the NBA's long ball, uh, sprawl ball revolution, 
the easy, the best shot that you could take a stool shot at the rim. And Milwaukee built an entire basketball team around that. Uh, I don't think there is a team in the league that is more excited about being able to just hammer you for that than Miami. Uh, but at the same time, the one thing that I wasn't expecting was Miami's ability. You know, we talk about heat culture a lot and what heat culture means and blah, 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 all this stuff. Like, I don't remember. I think it was Frank Isola uh, who tweeted, can we go a day without hearing about heat culture? No, because the heat are not here. Like you listened. uh, I I think it was I I know you're you're a low post fan as well as I am. But there was a recent episode of the low post where Zach Lowe basically said there was a sense that for how garbage of a situation like Miami was always going to be fine they were always going to have a very high four but just the money that they gave out to the guy they gave guys they gave it out with uh all this stuff that should be in the short term legitimately the kind of handcuff for a franchise that you're not able to get past and yet everyone went oh it's the heat they're always going to be able to find a way to do that and not only have they found a way to do that with getting Jimmy Butler down there, but the pieces around him that they've been able to put around him, my like Miami just embodies the culture that they want to embody. And I thought maybe they would waver in that against a Bucks team that top to bottom, yeah, I thought was better, but no, they were unwavering in that. And I think that they're now going to be going into a series against a Boston team that one, they don't match up nearly as well against, but two, they're going they already beat Milwaukee. They've beaten the best team in the Eastern Conference. They have zero reason to think that they're not going to win this series. And I think that's something that's going to come through from the very beginning. Yeah, they're definitely a confident team and they have every reason to be. Jimmy Jimmy Butler is a very confident human being. Uh, and this is uh, <laughs> Jimmy is definitely a character that is interesting to follow in NBA history. Like I, I'd be wary of Jimmy as like, you know, year three in an organization. Um, he wears on people. That's the rep of Jimmy. But in year one, he's always uh, been good and turned teams around. And he's just very good at basketball, both ends of the floor. Um, and he was the best player in that series for the most part. I mean, Giannis was awesome. But in terms of just like total value with Giannis missing a game, all that, Jimmy was really good. Um, even if he wasn't like dominant on the ball the entire time, Giannis is still a better player, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in this series, there's a world in which Jimmy Butler is the best player in the series. Now, Jason Tatum is probably better than Jimmy Butler at this point in time, but in a seven-game series where Jimmy's been there uh, and has been the guy and is not afraid of that, um, there's a world in which Miami's top two is the better top two in this series. Um, the problem is, I think Boston is still more talented um, this is also a series in which Miami does not have a huge coaching advantage in the way they did in the last series. You know, my, I covered my Budenholzer. Uh, Budenholzer is a great culture builder, regular season coach. In a playoff series, Spo lit him on fire, basically. Um, I think Brad Stevens, you, you could certainly argue that Spo is better than Brad Stevens, but Brad Stevens is not going to be embarrassed in the way that Bud was in that series. I don't know. There's lots of things to attack. I'm not entirely sure that I trust Miami's offense in this series. Um, they were quite good on offense against Milwaukee, but you know matchup stuff, um, all that stuff has always been, has already been said. And Boston is really good defensively. I mean, they're really underrated. I think still maybe maybe because uh, even the last series, like Toronto got the heat for not being able to score, and part of that was definitely all in Toronto. Siakam was not very good, all that stuff. But Boston was a top five defense in the regular season. Uh, they're still 
really good on defense. Um, you know, they lost Gordon Hayward. That's a huge thing that if they had Gordon Hayward, it would be even easier for me, for me to pick Boston in the series. But taking him out does not hurt them defensively, really. It, might, it probably makes them better, frankly. You get more Marcus Smart. You get um, more probably more Tyus, etc. There's all kinds of reasons why they're better defensively even without Gordon Hayward. Offensively, it probably hurts them. But this is a good defensive team. And Miami's offense was pretty good in the regular season. It wasn't like uber elite in that way. And we saw, even as they beat Milwaukee, like some of their supporting pieces, like Duncan Robinson, my son, kind of got shut down in that series because um, they targeted him. And Milwaukee, you know, game plan for him. Tyler Hero had a good series. Goran Dragic has been cooking in a way that he hasn't been for quite some time. But there are some lineups for Miami that are offense-challenged. And I wonder <laughs> if they get away with that against Boston in the way that they were able to against Milwaukee. Well, the one thing that Miami was able to do against uh, Milwaukee that they're not going to be able like, as much as I really love a lot of what this Heat team does, I do not think that they're going to be able to shoot nearly as well against Boston as they were against a Milwaukee team that, for how good it is, for how, you know, they have a bunch of really good players, they're also, like, they between the fact that they want you to shoot three, like they invite you to shoot threes, they're kind of a, a slower team. Like, you know, Wes Matthews is a good defender. Dante, Dante and Pat Connaughton compete, but Marvin Williams competes. But they're guys that I feel like Miami just kind of made it a point to run them a little bit ragged. And Boston's not going to – Boston was second this season in three-point field goals percentage allowed. You're not going to be able to get the kind. They're fourth uh, in effective defensive effective field goal percentage. You're not going to be able to shoot and score against them as easily as I think you were able to against Milwaukee. And you know, I, I'm sure Miami will still get there. I mean, Dragic has been a revelation this postseason, but I just don't know what Miami is going to be able to do in the event that I mean, they'll fight, they'll scratch, they'll claw all that stuff. I don't know what Miami is going to be able to do. If Boston is able to just drag this down into the mud and it turns into, you know, Oh my God, no, we uh, got Duncan Robinson has been switched onto uh, Kemba Walker or Kendrick Nunn or Tyler Hero need to check Jason Tatum one-on-one, like that kind of stuff. I This is just not as good of a matchup on both ends of the floor for Miami. And while I think they're a really good team, I think that Spo is going to have – Spo is going to have cook up some really interesting game plans for this yep. series that I think – I just don't know if they're going to be able to have enough to be able to uh, get past Boston. Right. And that's kind of where I sit on this too. I mean, this is oversimplifying, but stop if you disagree with me on this. I I think when Boston has the ball, I trust Boston's offense more than Miami's defense, not by a ton, but by some. And on the other end of the floor, when Miami has the ball, I trust Boston's defense more than Miami's offense. So, Mm -hmm. With both of those things out of the way, you kind of have to pick Boston, especially when, like I said before, the coaching matchup is not a huge advantage for either side. It probably leans a little bit to Miami, but not crazily. Um, you know, it, 
it does worry me if I'm a Boston person that the depth is not strong right now. That's the, that's really the loss of Hayward is not with the you know their their best five is still awesome because Marcus Smart is a ridiculously good <laughs> basketball player. Um, but it, when you go beyond that, if, if you get a foul trouble issue, if you get an injury that costs a guy a game or two, they don't really have another guy that you absolutely trust. Like we like Grant Williams. Grant's like their backup center right now in some ways. We saw him basically be that against Toronto. Um, but on the perimeter, it's like Brad Wanamaker was actually pretty good against the Raptors, but not someone that is incredible. They don't really have an, uh, they don't really have another wing. Like it's semi, I guess. Um, they just don't have a lot of depth. Miami has Miami has better depth in the series, which is not usually something to point to in a playoff situation. But it might matter, especially when you consider that Boston had to expend a bunch of energy to get past Toronto, and Miami did not have to do that. Now, if this series had started today, like it probably could have on Sunday. I would have favored Miami a little bit more early in the series, but because Boston had a couple of extra days to get ready for Tuesday, that rest advantage is kind of leveled out for me. Does that sound about right to you? That sounds about right. And then one element of this that, you know, I kind of just alluded to it. The series that Boston just went to against a Toronto team that is legitimately, you know, they play not eight, nine, ten guys. All of them are either incredibly good defenders or or matt thomas you know <laughs> yeah or matt thomas and then even like you know norman powell's not a lockdown guy but norm competes he's against. fine though yeah like yeah, it's he, not he, he they have no weaknesses him. that's that's, that's but, my favorite thing about toronto overall i think is that they, they just they put no one on the floor except for maybe matt thomas occasionally that you mm-hmm. can pick it pick on defensively it's it's a it's and, a lot of fun to watch and in this series you know jimmy's great bam's great uh jay crowder is wily veteran but you're not able to get away with you know if Goran Dragic isn't hitting shots if Duncan Robinson isn't hitting shots if Tyler Hero uh isn't hitting shots Derek Jones and Derek Jones is a good defender but Kelly Olynyk or Myers Leonard like those kinds of guys they don't have like I'm sure Jason Tatum is looking at some of the guys that he's going to have to try and score against and just licking his chops at the thought of it because Boston just went through a war on that, a war in terms of perimeter guys who can check anyone. It's going to be a little bit easier this time around. And I'm very interested to see how much Boston starts hunting the guys who, again, Dragic will compete on defense. Robinson's a big guy. Hero will compete on defense. They're still not particularly outstanding defenders. It just makes for a very interesting matchup on that end of the four because for how great of a defender Jimmy is, how great of a defender Bam is, they're not capable of doing everything on that end of the floor. Right. I really wish, and I think we saw it late in the series, I really wish that Milwaukee had tried to target Miami's more vulnerable perimeter guys on, on defense a lot. Like, I'm not picking on these guys for being like, they're not, none of these guys are terrible, terrible defenders, but you mentioned all of them, Dragic, Hero, Robinson, and Kendrick Nunn. Those four guys are very, very targetable defensively by the opposition. I think Boston is going to hunt them a lot more than Milwaukee did. And when Milwaukee started doing it later in the series, most when it was kind of, when it was kind of already over and Giannis was out, they started getting uh, aggressive switches and trying to target Milton on those guys. And whenever that happened, Milton torched those guys. And mm-hmm. it's not, that's not their fault. Like they're not, they're not terrible defenders again, but in a playoff series, having that many guys who can be targeted is not ideal, especially when you're talking about 
a team that has Jason Tatum, you know, Jalen Brown is not like an incredible one-on-one offensive scorer, but if he's got Tyler Hero on him, that's not going to end well for Miami. Same with Dragic. Like, and Kemba is not, you know, Kemba's small, so it's a little bit different than uh, the other guys who could just kind of, um, I would say, out-muscle or out-physical guys like Nunn and Dragic yeah. and Hero. But Kemba, if you, could, if you get Duncan Robinson on Kemba, like, it's lights out. So... Yeah. It's just interesting to me, and I, I do think, again, my Boston's going to, at least I, I assume Brad Stevens will do this, figure out a way to really make those guys hold their own defensively, and if they can't, they will keep like sort of you know putting the screws to them in a way that Milwaukee just didn't do. Yeah, and there's, there's also the fact that for how, you know, the Bucks were an outstanding um, basketball team, all, all, all season long, there was a bit of a mis, uh, a misconception about what they were capable of doing offensively. Everyone, uh, everyone knows Bud's vision on offense. <laughs> uh, he he wants guys to be able to shoot threes, and they got a lot of points from behind the three point line. They were also 18th uh, in three point field goal percentage, and then you get into that series. Uh, Middleton was good, but Bledsoe's not much of a shooter. DiVincenzo is not much of a shooter. Uh, Connaughton's not much of a shooter. Marvin, Giannis, all these guys, not great shooters. They just shoot the ball a ton. And eventually a bunch of them end up going in. Boston was like not otherworldly from behind the three-point line, but Tatum, very good shooter from deep. Hayward and Brown were both pretty good. Kemba can hit threes. Smart, uh, despite the fact that he's not the best shooter, he's on one hit, one, he's gotten better. And two, Marcus Smart takes 7,000 threes a game and thinks he's going to make all of them. And he has like a gravity about him based off of that. <laughs> if Miami gives guys room to shoot, Boston is going to punish them from three. And the the general chess match, I think having a few extra days is something that uh, is going to be really beneficial for them, but they can't defend Boston the way that they defended Milwaukee. And I'm very interested to see uh, the kind of stuff that Spo throws out there, because if there is one thing that they do have on defense, it's they have Jimmy Butler, who is going to, you know, he's six foot eight Patrick Beverly and that I think he just really likes being a pest and they have Bam who is one of the more versatile defenders uh, and really competitive defenders in all of basketball so they'll be able to do some stuff there but it, it has the potential to be very interesting if they're giving guys on Boston open looks from deep because Boston is going to punish them on those yep uh, and yeah, I don't know this is interesting I feel like I said at the very top of this discussion, I do think that Boston should be favored in this series. Uh, it's not like 80-20 or anything, and I was obviously dead wrong about Milwaukee winning the East. I picked them to win the East. I was wrong about that. I, I actually assumed that Bud would make some, make, make some adjustments, and he never really did it until it was too late. Um, but, you know, so I'm obviously capable of being wrong here, and Miami's still a, a much better team than I thought they were at this point, you know, even a few weeks ago. But I, 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 do, I think that Boston is just better than Miami is. Uh, top to bottom, like I said before, you know, Bam, Bam, and Jimmy could go crazy and win this series, or Tatum could, you know, be shaky. Or we saw Kemba get taken away a couple times against Toronto and that defense. So it's not a lock by any means, but I candidly, I'm leaning in the direction of Boston. If you made me bet the series, 
as sort of a coin flip as it seems to be in Vegas, I would definitely lean to Boston as a value side in that way. So maybe like a 60-40 kind of thing towards Boston. Uh, do you disagree with me? And uh, if if not, please explain. And if so, uh, please explain, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think Boston... I, I think Miami is a good enough team. They're a confident enough team. They're a team that believes enough in what they're trying to do that they're going to be able to get a game or two off of them. So I'm I'm thinking Celtics and six. Uh, six very hard-fought games. Like I would be stunned if any of these games end up being blowouts because I think Miami is just going – like Miami's going to fight. They're going to scratch. They're going to claw. And they're not going to let any of these games become blowouts. But I do think Boston ends up winning in six. Like, they are a better basketball team top to bottom. Uh, I, I liked what you said earlier about when they have the ball. I like their offense more when Miami has the ball. I like Boston's defense more. I think that's about right. And unless they're able. God, I don't even know. Unless guys like Robinson and Hero and Crowder just absolutely destroy Boston whenever they get opportunities. And Jimmy is able to go from a guy who can score 20 points a game to a guy that can score 27 to 30 points a game, because that's what this moment demands. I have a hard time seeing them winning this series, but I do think they're going to be able to get a few games off of Boston. Yeah. I mean, I think Miami can win the series. Uh, Like you said, I think it's going to require Jimmy, I guess path number one to them winning the series is Jimmy being the best player in the series, which is certainly possible. Jimmy Butler yes. is very capable of being the guy in capital letters in this series. And if that happens, things are a lot more level than I'm viewing them at this moment in time. The other path is just Miami shooting the heck out of the ball for four or five games, which is also possible. I mean, they have a bunch of shooters. They had a 60% true shooting against uh, Milwaukee. They were like third in the league, I want to say, in shooting efficiency this year, effective, effective focal percentage. Like, this is a really good shooting team. So if they come out, um, it's going to be a lot more contested against Boston, but they do have enough shooters. Like, if Duncan Robinson has a game where he makes just everything, or Tyler Hero, um, Hero is definitely someone who does not um, lack for confidence. If, if he comes out and wins you a half <laughs> every once in a while. I mean, they have a couple guys on this team um, that can come out and win you a quarter or win you a half. And if you do that at, at sort of the right times, you can win. So... Yeah, I think I would probably lean Boston in six or seven. I would pick Boston in the series, but Miami can certainly win. I, I think Miami is a live underdog. That's the way that I described them after they beat Milwaukee in, uh, in our takeaways thing that I wrote for Dime. A live underdog is Miami. They can win this series, but they are the underdog in my view. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it for, for, for everything that we're saying about Miami, I— just the one thing that I do wonder is the way that the matchup changes up for them, because Milwaukee was such a good matchup for them. Indiana, we all know the postseason struggles that they've had over the year, over the years. You know, that's why Nate McMillan, despite being a really good coach, doesn't have a job right now. Victor Oladipo wasn't himself. They were really dependent on TJ. They didn't have Sabonis, like all this stuff. Everything has fallen into place through two rounds for the Miami Heat. Like, Indiana was not the best version of themselves, and Miami was able to pounce on them for that. Milwaukee, just a perfect matchup, and then eventually Giannis goes down, and they were able to pounce on that. I'm very interested in what happens in really the first series that they have against a team that 
the fact that they're not the best version of themselves, I don't, you know, because Hayward is out, I, Hayward could be out, I don't think is going to rattle Boston even in the slightest. And at a certain point, Hayward's going to be coming back, and that's just another weapon that Boston is going to be able to potentially throw uh, at Miami. So it, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. The chess match between the two coaches is going to be outstanding. I can't wait to see what Tatum go, does going up against someone who I think is in Jimmy Butler, who I think is going to have his eyes on making this series miserable for him. This is going to be an outstanding series. And just like Raptors Celtics was something I couldn't wait for. I cannot wait to watch. Hopefully, hopefully it turns into seven absolute slugfest between two teams that I think are just really, really interesting to match up against one another. Yep. I, uh, I totally agree. This should be a lot of fun. And then once we figure out who's going to win that Clippers Nuggets series, we can uh, think about what's going to happen between that, th- that team and the Lakers, which is going to be even more interesting, especially if it ends up being the battle of LA as we have all anticipated well, for quite some time. It, if I may, what are your, what are your uh, preliminary thoughts? Like just in, 30 seconds for both of the teams. How do you think the Clippers and how do you think the Nuggets uh, match up against the Lakers? Because I think that's two diametrically opposite jobs that the Lakers would have in front of them. Yeah, it's a tough scout for the Lakers Like at this moment in time. I think you probably have to spend a little bit extra time on the Clippers, but they're very different preparations if you're the Lakers at the moment. Uh, I candidly would give the Lakers a high, high, high chance to beat the Nuggets. Um, And that's not me being uh, pessimist on the on the Nuggets. I, I just think the Lakers are notably better than them. Um, you know, Lakers-Clippers is really interesting. I've called it a toss-up. I feel like I'm, I've I've copped out in some respects, but I'm really not copping out because I really truly believe that it's like a coin flip series. I still feel that way. I think uh, there are so many strengths on both sides. On both sides, like if LA can play their their normal defensive game and not have to adjust too much, uh, I, I mean, the, I mean the Lakers. Um, that would be interesting against the Clippers. I would love to see LeBron and Kawhi match up. Uh, I mean, I would probably, if you made me choose right now today, pick the Lakers, but like, I have no conviction in it. I think those teams are just very, very, very even, but something scares me about the Clippers and the way that they've approached this whole thing. I don't know what it is. Um, and the Lakers have not been perfect either. They've had a couple of bad moments along the way, but yeah, I, I think I just trust the Lakers like a half percent more but I I really I really can't tell you why to be honest with you <laughs> uh it, it has to be because they have LeBron like it, it has I mean, but, but Kawhi Kawhi is really good man like Kawhi is yeah, like kind of yeah. what LeBron is like kind of I mean they're very different players but Kawhi's not worse than LeBron in 2020 you know what I mean like LeBron it's yeah. it, it, it's a different thing LeBron's obviously an you know, maybe the best passer of all time or on the, on the short list. There are things that LeBron can do that Kawhi can't do, but there's also stuff that, Ka- that Kawhi does that LeBron doesn't really do. Like just like get to your spot and knock down. Your, I don't know. Uh, I, I certainly have defaulted to LeBron for a decade now every, in every series, basically he's ever played other than when he was playing <laughs> the greatest team of all time in the Warriors. Um, but I mean, Kawhi is, it's kind of the same thing. Like picking, picking against Kawhi is almost as scary as picking against LeBron. It's not like it's a, it's not fun to choose the, the opposite side of either one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because like I, I picked the Clippers to win the title before the year. So I would obviously pick them, but at the same time, I don't, well, I was about to say, I don't know how you could pick 
could justify picking against the Nuggets if they somehow win again. Like if they somehow find another way to come back from three down this time against just team of destiny, team destiny just, stuff. Like it's team destiny stuff, but at the same time, like LeBron's destiny is making the playoffs, make the finals every year. So I don't know. Like it's whatever ends up happening in the West. The series for again for completely different reasons. The Nuggets because just unreal story. The Clippers because. I think that Clippers-Lakers is the the matchup we've been looking forward to all year. The Western Conference Finals are going to be incredible, w- whatever ends up happening between them. I am not narrative guy. You know this You know this about me. People, people listen to this podcast know this about me. I am not the guy who will come on and give the most obvious take or follow the mainstream. But, you know, in this sense, I kind of have to. I just want to see Lakers-Clippers. I'm sorry, Nuggets. Yeah. I'm not trying to hate on the Nuggets. I've really enjoyed this Nuggets run, and they are a fun team to watch. I'm entertained by them. I really like, I really like Jokic. They have Paul Millsap, one of my favorite players, literally of all time, on the roster. Millsap. But I just want to see, I just want to see the series that we've all been wanting for this entire time. Like it'll be insufferable in some ways. Twitter will be a place you just can't go for two weeks during that series in a lot of ways. But I really just want to see Kawhi, LeBron. AD, PG, the Battle of LA, the takes, just all of it. Give me all of it. Uh, I'm not rooting for the Clippers against the Nuggets because I don't really care that much. But in terms of just the storyline and the fun that I think it will be, I would just prefer to see the Clippers. And that's not me hating on the Nuggets, I promise. I just want I, I want the series that, we, that, we, that we've all been talking about for Absolutely. a year plus. Absolutely. Bill, thank you for joining me on the podcast if you have if any any final thoughts please uh feel free to fire them away and if not remind folks where they can find you one more time uh for your you know your penn state takes because you, you you and i are in the same boat uh rooting for college football teams that are not playing college football right now uh you know all kinds of things are happening but please plug yourself if you have nothing else to say about the nba playoffs well it seems like we're going to be getting college football uh maybe our- it's coming yeah, it, it it seems like certainly seems like it's coming, but yeah, uh, not too much. I, I it's just uh, it's been a blast. Uh, I, I've enjoyed. I don't know about you, Brad. I've enjoyed the bubble uh, a lot oh, yeah. more than I thought that I was going to be. It's been a blast following along. I really cannot wait to see uh, what happens in Game Seven. I really cannot wait to see what happens at the Western Conference Finals, and I really can't wait to ha- see what happens in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a joy. Thank you very much for having me on. If you want to find me on Twitter at Bill DeFilippo. Uh, Read Dime, read Up Rock Sports, follow us on all the various social media feeds that we have, that uh, that kind of thing. And um, I don't know, if you have any complaints, uh, please DM me on Twitter at rcaland. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's a great way to put that. A fantastic way to sign off. Thank you again, Bill, for joining us on the podcast. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the show. Check out Bill's stuff. Check out my stuff. Ask questions if you'd like to, leave five-star feedback, and we will see you later on in the week.